Hello, welcome to the House Music Connection podcast. I'm your host, Tony Fuel. And each week we have conversations with uh, different artists so that uh, we can get to know their stories, uh, their industry insights, hear some about some hear about their struggles and successes um, so that we can event all ultimately learn from one another and feel more connected at us as a house music community. Today we are connecting with Sensei, an artist out of San Francisco. And I wanted to bring Sensei on the podcast because he plays live keyboards to support uh, other DJs, DJ sites. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective uh, or that he could offer an, an interesting perspective because uh, that's uh, fairly unique. Um, I, spe- I suspect that a lot of us would like to learn more about what goes into that and what that looks like. So with that, we'll go ahead and get in, into th- we'll get into the conversation. So with that, we'll get in, into the conversation. Hey there, welcome to the podcast. Sensei, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while, so and we've been we've been connected like virtually for a while, and it's good to connect uh, live, even if it is uh, you know still over the over the interwebs or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's good to have a one on one conversation in real time. So that's that's cool. Um, yeah. So the first thing uh, that I want to ask you to do is uh, just introduce your, introduce yourself briefly for those listening who may not be familiar with you or some who, people are, who are familiar with your music, but uh, may not know a whole lot about you. Okay. All right. Well, uh, first of all, super stoked to be on uh, the show. So Tony, good looking out, man. Um, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've hollered and we've uh, shared tracks for a minute, but it's nice to put an actual, like I've seen your photo, but to actually connect with you on yeah. one on super dope. Um, gotta love technology for that. Um, all right. So, um, greetings. It's usually how I start my shit. Uh, my name is sensei. It's S E N hyphen S E I. And, um, I have been in, uh, San Francisco since 90 and I have, been in the house music house music community since 91 and i produce and perform live house music that's what i do yeah sure okay yeah that's one of the reasons why i thought of you specifically is because uh you do you do live event you perform live when you do your shows and uh you know not everyone does that and so um what uh before we get, in, get get into that though what uh what is the story behind the uh hyphen in your name i think people will want <laughs> okay. to know sure so yeah i'm i have a very uh, sensei is my real legal name um mm-hmm. i i did a legal aka switch back in oh my god 90 uh i legally dropped my first name which is a very common first name sensei was my last name um, and then I basically started doing research about how to make music and then put it out there into the world, like radio, physical product, vinyl, tape, all that shit. Mm-hmm. And um, to get credited for an artist name for who you are, you have to do – I was taught that you have to kind of register with the Library of Congress as an mm-hmm. artist. This is in addition to like the publishing companies like ASCAP, BMI, and all the other global um, companies mm-hmm. that represent artists as composers and songwriters and stuff. Anyway, I dropped the first name. I went with just the last name. Um, 
Sting is a musical genius and hero of mine. Prince, genius, mm-hmm. hero of mine. Um, and I just kind of gravitated toward having the one name. Now, the hyphen is interesting because I also took martial arts when I was very young. And my sensei, when they read my name and said, yeah, you have your name is pronounced the same way. This is what it means. And I'm like, mm. all right. So as I got older and I changed my name to just Sensei the Artist um, and also knowing that that would be very confusing with anyone's head that goes right to martial arts, I put the hyphen in there because I wanted it to be a name and not a title. So mm. most people will have, you know, that are in martial arts or that are ed- people in education because a sensei is a teacher not just mm-hmm. martial arts, music, it could be math, it could be a language. And um, it would be sensei, the title as teacher, their name. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a teacher credential. I do like to think that I try to educate people about music and about house music. I have an obligation to live up to the name, but out of respect, uh, I put the hyphen in there and um it's a double-edged sword. It's super cool, but it really makes things difficult, like trying to get airline tickets. Really <laughs> shitty. But <laughs> aside from that, um, yeah. that's the history huh. behind the hyphen. Okay. Makes Very sense. Very cool. Yeah, right. absolutely. All right. So you mentioned that you've been in the, in the house music community, uh, specifically in San Francisco since 1991. Uh how did you discover house music and the house music scene? I mean, San Francisco is arguably one of the most influential cities in house music history um, because of its deep house. Uh, I feel you know, it, it was deep houses. Yeah. A lot of deep houses come from from San Francisco artists. What has that been like? And what you know, what more can you say about the you know your history of being in San Francisco for that that amount of time? Sure. Um, great question. Um, uh, some context. So I'm originally sure. from Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. And prior to my relocation from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, to the San Francisco Bay Area in 90, I got exposed to warehouse house music in 1989 at mm. a place called electric warehouse it was a bootleg underground spot and i heard danny tanaglia for the first time nice and i'm like this is cray cray this is amazing um at that point i was 1989 so i had known friends from chicago who were telling me at this time while i'm in new york haven't been to chicago don't know chicago house but they're like dude Chicago's on fire for where this is coming from. I loved it. That was my first introduction. Started knowing about it, but I picked up and took the year to relocate to the San Francisco Bay Area. When I moved out here, um, one of the first things that I got introduced to was the underground house scene, the warehouses, the full moon parties that were thrown by the Wicked crew. Um, as well as just Mm. the underground rave scene at the very onset. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, I was also going to the nightclubs in San Francisco because they didn't suck at that time. Mm -hmm. They actually had really good (laughs) 
music and the vibe wasn't totally shit. Um, so I was dabbling in both, uh, you know, which are very, I, I like, I don't want to say they're not, they're totally exclusive from one another, but, um, uh, their crossover was very limited and mm-hmm. very different parties, very different sounds, but also mm-hmm. that kind of the overall vibe of the music at that time period. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I really saw the takeoff at uh, the beginning of the, the mega rave scene in the early nineties. And, I fell in love with it. Um, that community, that sound, that vibe, that big room element, or the flip side, that underground, super stealthy, 50 person underground, dark and sweaty drip, you know, from mm-hmm. the ceiling, water from the ceiling. It's like having that access to that was just, it shaped me as a musician. Um, being coming off of, you know, classical music and funk and jazz. Uh, as a musician, as a keyboardist, but then all of a sudden falling in love with house music since I was also really familiar with the electronica mm-hmm. scene of Depeche Mode, Erasure, that synthy sound back in the 80s, uh, which carried over into the 90s. Uh, and so that kind of is really where I shaped my flavor and my vibe and you know really set my roots with house music community in the San Francisco Bay area. It was, and that kind of included Oakland and Santa Cruz. So not just San Francisco city, you really did have Hmm. other people come into uh, the area because it was cracking. It was so on fire. Oh my God. Yeah. Blur. Blur. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole time period, I mean, especially on the West coast, like in these like big tech cities, there was so much economic vitality, like in the late, you know, that mid to late nineties, especially that people, you know, were connecting with each other. Like they had never connected before. I mean, because of like technology and whatnot. I mean, and yeah, I just can imagine that that was a really exciting time. I I'm from Seattle and that's where I kind of grew up. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a similar, it's a similar story there. Um, yeah. So you said something about clubs not sucking uh, back then. So is it safe yeah. to say that you think that you have that your opinion is that a lot of the clubs suck today? Mm. All right, um, I'm, I will just be candid based off of the fact that my uh, I, first of all disclaimer: I am a jaded raver. Sure. If you don't know what that means, look it up. <laughs> Now, that being said, and also being a New Yorker, which means that I'm going to say it the way I feel it and how I'm being a straight up 100%. um, Mm -hmm. There was a time where the nightclubs were amazing. New York, you know, New York City, Mm -hmm. uh, like Central Fly to Twilo to Limelight before it exploded. And Mm -hmm. um, some of those big clubs that were just awesome and what made it awesome were the people because the people didn't have so much baggage Mm -hmm. they were there to get their dance on Mm -hmm. and then anything else you know first the music dancing second fill in the blank for you right and that was pretty much how it was in the 90s from my personal experience because i i had a residency with release at san francisco's longest running club it's 10 15 fulsome and Mm. I had a residency there every Saturday night with release for years. And that was 
96, 97 through early 2000s. And you could see that as time has gone on, um, the, the, the quality of the people that are going to the clubs has gone down in the sense that they are not really getting educated on what quality music is. Venues mm. book whatever is hot now. And mm. there is no investment like there used to be. Clubs used to have residencies that residents that worked with the headlining talent that would come in all the time. Mm-hmm. Saw that yeah. a lot at space at Crowbar in in Miami. You would have mm-hmm. two or three residents of the venue. They opened all the time for whoever the headliner was coming in. That exchange opened up to keeping people educated about what that music was. But now, because producers are kind of carbon copy. And the great equalization of technology has made everybody a, you know, a, a bedroom producer. You now have a flooded market with only certain people at the, at the helm to be able to share that music with people. And uh, the nightclub venues, they're more concerned about the bills being paid through alcohol mm-hmm. sales. Because at the end of the day, they're a business that's a brick and mortar place. And if you're Mm -hmm. not generating revenue off of alcohol, you're dead. And that, so now you have to think of who's going to pay the money at club for alcohol. The house heads I know are going to eat a pill, have a beer and just sweat on the dance floor forever. They ain't buying. Sure. Yeah. So when you... Now the people that are in the clubs, clubs, not like not not event spaces that do big events like a mighty, um, you know, or a breakout someplace up, you know, Voodoo Lounge or something like that, you know, where it's it's on its own. Does that make sense? Did I convey that properly? I think that's yeah, I think there's enough nuance there for sure. Uh, yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if, if in that time the clubs were, their job was to kind of help with educating people on the music and the scene, I guess what has replaced that then? What, um, where do people go nowadays to find out about the culture or to, I mean, I mean, cause we're, we're kind of like constantly getting force fed from the algorithms of, you know, YouTube or Spotify or whatever, what they think that we want to hear. Um, and, it takes them a while to like kind of discover like what we actually want. And a lot of people don't necessarily know that they know that they like house music until they somehow stumble upon it. And I don't know, I'm just uh, figuring out, just trying to think of like, how, how do we, (laughs) how do we educate, educate people on the music today so that they can find it and enter the scene without it being, without having to have, the algorithm help them along the way, you know? Sure. Um, I don't know. I it's it. That's an interesting question. Um, so first and foremost, I think you get the opportunity, like every once in a while, there are going to be these one-off parties that kind of pop up um, mm-hmm. at a venue that's established. I'll give you an example. Sandy Rivera, Kings of Tomorrow just played mm. here in San Francisco at one of the local bar nightclubs here. And crazy, right? That venue has talent every week, 
But every mm-hmm. once in a while, it pulls in a certain kind of talent that you can absolutely pinpoint and identify with a particular style. Mm. Like if I wanted to hear trance, progressive, I know that Christopher Lawrence would probably be my guy. Mm. That ain't my sound, but if that was my jam and I wanted people to be in the scene, I would seek out an event that he would be playing at. So in the world of house, house music, which has so many different genres to it, um, the algorithm, first of all, is all bullshit. You, you like what you like, okay? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and right. that, that's it. I don't let an algorithm tell me that. I'm not a lemming. Um, that being said, so the effort is you have to find the venues. You have to find the solo events. You may not be able to find that at a, at a regular weekly brick and mortar. Now, that's not to say that there aren't weeklies that go down that are awesome um, because mm-hmm. they're nice and small and tight. So you can actually have that community. Here's an example. Uh, my buddy, Matthew Bryan, who is down in San Diego. He's got um, a, a weekly Friday night gig, air conditioned lounge in San Diego. Small spot, super dope, small. So when people go there, they're going for the music, they're going for the vibe, they're going to connect with that community. And that's where you have to find, you have to kind of put, you got to put the dues in to find mm-hmm. what you like and what you want and people that like what you like and they can help you and educate you oh you haven't mm-hmm. heard about this guy Come with me oh you haven't heard this mix let me email you the link you know and we as artists producers are always at the challenge of and at the mercy of trying to get opportunities to perform and to play and to educate mm-hmm. um but there are only so many weekends there are only so many apart there are only so many venues there is only right there's only so many pieces of that pie and mm-hmm. um, some stuff is just too much of an uphill battle to try to participate or get a slice of that pie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's true. Which is why I, I like the streams. I like the, the mix sets. I like the radio mix sets um, yeah. from labels. I do that once a week. It lets me, I'm constantly getting new music and then mm-hmm. I can pick what what I like. Yeah. Have you done, uh, have you, have you done much, uh, have you done many performances like streaming, like like on Twitch or whatever? Me personally? No. Yeah. No, you want to see me, you got to come see me. I'm not going to go ahead. No, 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 no. I've paid too many dues of like, uh, it's, it's not the same. If you're not there with me, you know, it's like the difference between playing a video game and watching somebody play a video game. Stop it. Yeah. Stop. Don't do that. <laughs> right. You know, play the damn game. Yeah. Mm. So we're kind of, yeah. So no. Well, this, is, this is a nice segue into talking about like live, your live performances. So, um, you know, you, ta- you consider yourself an artist. You're not a DJ. So when you're out doing a show, you're, are you playing what is it to walk us through what that looks like or it sounds Easy. like sure simple dj setup you're standing in front of a dj setup dj setup mm-hmm. is going to have some kind of tech combination of two to three primary delivery units it's either going to be turntables or cdjs mm-hmm. coupled with an opportunity for their laptop that's your tech for the primary dj now 
Slide your shit over four or five feet. I stand right next to you. I am mm -hmm. plugged right into the mixer on a free channel. DJ's mm -hmm. mixer has four channels. I get one. You do whatever you want with the other three. I go in through a submixer. My submixer goes into the main mixer. Mm. I play live keys. I don't use a sequencer. I don't use a drum machine. I don't use anything like that. I have my mm. laptop that lets me select sounds. I use Logic, my DAW, but I use it in a live mode on my laptop. And that gives me more sounds than any DJ has records. Hmm. Granted, I don't need 60 tubas, but you get the point. So right. what ends up happening here is, is that as the DJ, you have to have faith that I don't suck, right. that I can keep time, yeah. and that I can be in key, mm -hmm. um, i.e. tune. And being able to do that, what makes me different than other people is that I do it on the fly. It's 100% mm. improv. I do not practice. I do not uh, have a, an advanced copy of the playlist. Maybe one or two tracks I may know just to have dialed in super tight. But aside from that, the, the set is unrehearsed. Un I mean, it's just it's different every time because it's live. That's live. Mm -hmm. Now, the yeah. DJ has to basically imagine they have a third, a fourth CDJ. They don't have control over it. Whatever mm -hmm. comes out of here is like, the fuck is that? So it, it's that it's tough because you also want to be super tight, where you people think they can't tell you're part of the record, you're live, mm -hmm. but then you have to be a little bit louder and upfront and engaging with the audience, so they go, they make the eye ear coordination between what's happening live in front of them and what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. and, or if you know a record inside and out like a DJ and then all of a sudden you hear another element coming in on top of it that you don't recognize again what is that that's the live element that's what I yeah. do uh, a lot of people may call this close to what a live PA is um, a live PA usually has a couple of pre-planned components hmm my from what I've been taught over the years, because I'm a hundred percent improv, that's where I go with the full live push. So when I do my branding or I'm on a flyer, if I'm on advertisements, and it's I, I don't mind, I take a back seat or I take a secondary seat. So it's the DJ first mm -hmm. with me, I support whoever I'm playing. Got it. Okay. Does that so make are you sense? doing any shows? Yeah. Are you, so you. Uh, so if Sensei is on a on a flyer, and mm -hmm. so it's going to be in support of another DJ. It's. Uh, do you ever do like a solo show or anything like that? No. Hmm. Why? <laughs> Not as much fun. And doing that would require a lot of pre planning, and that kind of just takes the fun out of it for me. Sure. Otherwise, I would plan it as like a full-on set live performance where it was all planned. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, and a lot of DJs do that. A lot of artists will do that. That's just not something because I'm a musician first. Um, mm -hmm. I'd rather have that. It, it's kind of like it. It 
tech, it ties to that jazz musician of that jam sure. session at four in the morning where you just let yeah. everybody do what they do. And that organic experience in the musical creativity right there, right then is what I shoot for, what I tap into. That's my drug is that ability to create being in the pocket and then opening up my eyes or looking up and seeing an audience that gets it, particularly mm -hmm. the ones right up front because they're the ones that see the ones in the back are just hooting and hollering. Um, and so when I do this, like my last gig, which I, Oh, it was epic. Mm -hmm. Um, Romero uniting souls, music, Seattle, Seattle, um, yeah. mm -hmm. we, played, uh, we played monkey loft, um, at the end of August nice. and I headline co-headlined with Cole Lawton from deep fix recordings out of the UK. His sure. first time yeah. coming, like perfect example, first time playing the United States, first time meeting me in person, even though we've produced music together, yeah. we've never practiced. We go into that gig and we play live together for the first time for three hours. And the place nice. went bonkers. Bonkers. Very cool. Yeah. It was so good. Was I can so only cool. imagine the vibe. Yeah. Nice. There are photos. The yeah. photo, the <laughs> Doesn't do it justice. Yeah. Uh, sure. It was, it was, and, and there was a lot of Seattle royalty that came out from the scenes. Um, no need to name drop. They were there and it was just mm -hmm. great to have that support from sure. veterans um, yeah. in the scene. It was really epic. Nice. Very cool. That's good to hear. It's good to hear that like the, that the scene is still thriving and um, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, some younger, younger folks will, uh, catch on to it and keep the vibe alive for many more generations to come. It, so I think it's starting it, to happen a little people, bit, but yeah. It takes people like promoters though, like Ramiro, right? Mm -hmm. The party I played was a monthly part. So yeah. there you go. He does 12 of those a year, mm -hmm. you know, and then maybe a Christmas or a, a, a Halloween party or something special. So you, now you're sprinkling three, four, five more events a year. Mm -hmm. How many, how much, amazing talent exists out there, let alone in mm -hmm. Seattle local that would just love to get in on the opportunity to play for that audience because that right. audience will know, Oh, if it's that promoter at that venue, those people aren't going to suck. Right. They're going to be awesome people. And you know why? Cause they're there to get their groove on first yeah. and foremost. For sure. That's what we, that's what we seek out as yeah. artists. Or at least that's what I do. Yeah, it all starts. It all starts with the foundation of music. And speaking yep. of that, you mentioned jazz uh, as one of your as you know, part big part of your influence. Can you say more about how did you get started in music uh, and playing music and learning jazz, and how has that evolved uh, into your deep house productions? Um. Okay, I'm gonna try to streamline this answer. In, sure. in front of it. I know that was a, lot. A, a little bit more of a linear thing, yeah, because it's a lot. Yeah. Um, all yeah. right, here we go. Five and a half. Mom and dad hooked me up with a little Jewish lady who taught me how to play classical piano, and mm. she was ruthless in the way of teaching me the fundamentals and the basics. And you learned with classical music, nothing harder than classical. Next thing, classical mm. was jazz. And 
I played classical music from five to 18. Um, I was doing a lot of competitions in the classical music circuit uh, with the professional teachers association. So I was, did one that actually made it to Carnegie hall uh, for mm. the finalists. So I ended up playing, you know, like on a Sunday, small program, not a big thing, but still got to play sure. Carnegie hall. No one can take um, that away from you. Yeah. No, sure. no, that's a, that's a feather for sure. Um, but then while I was going to high school, still studying technical classical music, I was getting into reggae. I was getting into rock. I was getting into new wave electronica. I'm listening to everything. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, now I'm starting to identify all of these different types of music and what the sounds are. And how do you identify them to like, for example, reggae, that particular drum beat or new wave mm-hmm. Depeche Mode stuff that has very saw wave, synthy wave, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, feedback or classical music or jazz where you're hearing the real authentic acoustical instruments, the breath of somebody playing a horn, the impact of people's hands on a piano, the mm-hmm. drums that are in this area and participating in that as an audience member and getting all of this feedback of what these types of music is. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going, I like this. I like this. I like this. Oh, I really like this. And then started right. to build my own sound in playing and learning these styles. So in high school, I was in a high school band. We played everything. Mm-hmm. I played from Richard Marks to Depeche Mode. I mean, like mm. Billy Joel, to background stuff for in excess. It, it literally was a really wide spectrum. Simultaneously, cool, my dad is introducing me to jazz, technical mm. jazz, Latin jazz. Uh, my dad plays the vibes. So I started learning the vibes a little bit and he was mm. very big on Cal Jada. Um, he introduced me to the beats of uh, Latin beats of Tito Puente. Um, mm. Um, Herbie Hancock on the jazz tip mm-hmm. going way back. Uh, but then also getting into some of the classic stuff with, uh, you know, from Miles Davis uh, to mm. the Scott Hamilton Quartet, a lot of from jazz classics and standards. So I played and I played around with it. I really liked it, but it wasn't my passion. Mm. Uh, but then when I discovered house music, when I realized what it how people were making it because mm-hmm. at this point it's 90 91 and they just start like all the tech companies like Roland Yamaha, Oberheim pioneer, mm-hmm. everybody's starting to go down this path of really making outrageous hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I start meeting people and you start learning about things like a Moog organ or, you know, a yeah. Moog keyboard or a Lord lead. And then you're, you're, I started fall, like DJs fall into like shopping for records. I was getting into gear and sounds, mm. and I'm like ah, which kind of went to why I, why be a DJ when mm. I have the experience of and to be able to play mm-hmm. and make it. And that was always my that that set the tone on me in ninety ninety one, and so I've been doing it ever since. Really. Um, Nice. From from live to production, from ninety one to today. Yeah, that's cool. Because when I listen to your music, it, it is very musical, and uh, you can tell that there's a lot more, or a lot of. 
it's not fair to compare artist to artist, but like I mean, I'm just saying that like for your sound, it's you could tell that it's very musical. So yeah, that's cool. It's good. It's good. It's cool to know the how that how that came to be and, and why and why it's more musical. All right, yeah. so kind of switching gears a little bit. Um, so you've been doing this a, a, long, a while, and we talked a little bit about the clubs and whatnot, and um, you know, um, you know, a lot of artists. Um, a lot of artists kind of have like this issue with uh, art versus commerce. It's kind of an age old, uh, I don't know, uh, binary, like either you're an artist or, or you're a business and you can't be both. Uh, and some people will even go so far as to say that anyone who like tries to make money from their art, like is, is a sellout or, you know, or whatever. So no, uh, what, what is, uh, you know, what, what's your, what's your take on that? I, I do not believe in that last statement at all. Sure. At all. And I'll just tell you why. A painter still has to buy paint, still has exactly, to buy brushes, yeah. still yeah. has to buy a canvas, still has mm-hmm. to pay rent. Right? Yeah. And if you can make something that makes a profit mm-hmm. to help you keep doing what you want to do, right? you can take that sellout comment and shove it up your ass. Not you personally. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, no, I yeah. agree with that. No, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's that's a cop out answer. Number one, um, yeah. number two, the the split between the artist versus the business. You know, I I hate to say it, they are hand in hand if a financial component is involved to the point where it's relevant. If you have more mm-hmm. money than God and you can afford all the gear or all your supplies or all your systems or all of the materials that you need for your art and you mm-hmm. do it just for the sake of doing it for art and your own personal enjoyment and you're not looking to make any money to pour back into the art, kudos, you won. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not there mm-hmm. and you the, the fact of trying to make enough to pay to keep it going the break even mm-hmm. principle is what it's called, right? right? I'm not here to make a profit. I just want to break even. I believe that that is really where the majority of people are. Um, or where, the, where I think it's safe to like get try to get there. I don't think that there's anything wrong with aspiring to like make back what you put into your art like on a financial that basis. Is. Yeah. Why not? Why, why making not? Money. Yeah. I do. I make a profit. You know what I do with it? Buy more shit. <laughs> put it right back into buy, your buy art. Yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. put it towards a Ferrari payment. Like, what the fuck? No, yeah. I I do it to to I do it for the art. I do it for the mm-hmm. love. And I think that anybody that operates from that from that principle first, if mm-hmm. that is your foundation, anything else can be tailored and customized to whatever direction and goals you have as an mm-hmm. artist or whatever and that's going to either be the sim- same or different or a combination of the two with anybody and everybody else you engage with be it a colleague who's doing it side by side to an audience member who is a potential person to buy your shit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it yeah things that yeah, make you go definitely home. aligns with what, I, what my thoughts as well so that's cool all right let's see yeah um let's see so i want to kind of switch gears again (laughs) to kind of like more mindset um um, so you know we do this for the love of it and it's 
you know, you've had some, 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 some successful releases, but then sometimes there's, you know, I mean, me personally, like I've had some successful releases and then there's some that I think that are going to do well that just nobody is interested at all. So how do you navigate, uh, the, the mindset that you need to like kind of stick with things and overcome like the, or I guess work through the, the, the valleys that, that are going to come along along the journey um i i go back to my last statement what is it that motivates you to 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 participate in the mm-hmm. first place yeah that re- it, it's got to start there um i fell into house music as a performer because i was at the right place at the right time doing something that nobody else can do did do mm. Now, I built my own foundation off of that. So mm-hmm. These are different times now. So it's difficult for me to, to kind of give advice as far as like, what does it take to have the right mindset? The mindset is do it for yourself first. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And anything else is a bonus. Yeah. So... I like if it. you're doing it for yourself and you like your product and you like what you've done, share it with the world as best as you see fit. Now, if you're mm-hmm. going to go ahead and play in the main producer's circle, which is where these, you know, where artists and producers like myself live, Track Source, Beat, Port Juno, where people, Apple Music, anywhere that people go and to go and actually purchase this type of music. Cause remember your mom is not buying house music, right? She ain't, she's not, she may stream it once in a while, but she ain't buying it. So uh, uh, you make the music for yourself and you just keep going mm-hmm. and you try to get these wins that you can. And I find that the best way to win fastest and most frequently is collaborations mm-hmm. because it's not just you. It's you and whoever else. And that combined force wins every single time. Mm -hmm. Every time. What happens when you put out a great track and it flies under the radar? Shitty. I have one of those going on Mm. right now. And it's just because it's dwarfed by another one that's getting mad love. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, that's sucks. Because I really like this one and nobody's going to really get it. So what do I do? All right. Well, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Back at it. Make another one. Back at it. Make another one. You just have to have that, like, I don't care. Just make the music for yourself. And if you love it, share it with people. And if you've got an opportunity to crowd test it, you have a buddy or someone that can play it at a club at night or at a gig and give you feedback or you go and you hear it. And you see how people respond to you. That's that's part of my actual process, um, crowd testing, and, and get that extra wave of motivation or confidence or support from your peers in the network mm-hmm. that you are learning from, uh, that you're engaging with, that is in your community. Um, I try to learn something from everybody that I possibly can. Mm. Everyone, local to people all over Europe. Um, I think I the 
my my train of thought probably morphed into a whole nother direction at this point. It's all good. Sorry about it's that. All, it's, a, it's a natural conversation. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. organic. That's good. Yeah. Okay. You got to keep going, man. You, you yeah. just can't stop. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Cool. And just, yeah. I like the two uh, I talked about just doing it for the love and for yourself first. I think a lot of us are kind of, you know, in, in that mindset as well. So I think it's always good to get that confirmation that, you know, that we're, yeah, that we're thinking this, that we're all in it for the love of it and, and whatnot. So I, mean, I think, I think that anybody who's still around is like, it's definitely be. in it for the love of it. Yeah. That's where it should, that's where it needs to start. If it's mm-hmm. start, like I said earlier, if you, if that's your foundation, Go on your journey. Right. Whatever works for you, where you're at, who you're, who you are, what you want to do, how you want to participate. Everybody is different. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of parallels, but then everyone at some point is going to cross over or break off. And mm. but if you're all doing it first and foremost for the love of the music because you just love the music, right? Yeah. Th- then you have that in common with a lot of people. Yeah, for and sure. then you seek those people out, and then you start working with them. Yeah, and then it spiders out from there. All right. Well, let's see. Um, we've talked about quite a few things, so um, I want to talk about. Um, we've talked about the past. I kind of want to talk about like the upcoming, uh, the the future. Do you have any upcoming projects that you're excited about? Um, that are, I don't know, that are really lighting you up right now. Um, okay. So I just finished three tracks and I'll give you all the info about this. Right. And these three tracks are going to get, two of them are going to get shopped to a major label. Um, I can't disclose because the label hasn't received them yet, but Mm. the package is going to be an exclusive submission Mm -hmm. for, um, these two tracks. And they're fucking dope. I partnered up in this case. Uh, like I said, I, I love collaborations. I do almost exclusively collaborations. Um, and for this two track project, uh, I partnered up with uh, the artist known as Jameis, J A E M U S, unusual mm. name. Uh, but his real name is Josh Jackson down in San Diego. This okay. guy is super talented next gen of producers Hmm. you know like he's like late 30s early 40s so without dating myself too much um we uh we worked on two original compositions he got about 50 percent of the way pinged me i lit him up with material can we combined it finished these two projects one of them has got Becca Ward singing mm. on it. And if you don't know who she is, I look her up. Goes by B-E-C-K-A. Mm-hmm. Wow. The voice on this chick, UK girl. Amazing. Amazing. She crushed it with the lyrics and she sang it. I love – it's not just the vocalist. You got to be mm. a lyricist and a vocalist if I'm going to work with you. Mm. Um, so she – Knocked that out of the park. The second track, I got Marie Borson. Borson. Oh, man, she's kill me if I mispronounce that shit. French girl. Yeah. Right? 
She, amazing, mm. amazing voice. This is whole package is getting all nice put together. It's going to have a nice bow on it, and it's going to this guy um, before the end of this year, 2023. Mm-hmm. Right? 23? Um, with the intention of it hopefully something happening early Q1 of 2024. Um, that's been my real focus is just getting that all wrapped up and packaged. Uh, so I'm, I'm super, super excited about it because the quality of the music, the qual- it's just quality product. And it's just, it was such a joy mm-hmm. to work with such talented, cool people that are professional. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do this. Great. Very Communications nice. off point. Great. The like, like lyrics. Oh, here's a deadline. Yes. I'm like, mm, that's how you do it. Love it. Yeah. And that adds to like my excitement on the project too. So yeah. See, I'm already no. geeking out. Like, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's all good. No, okay. it's good. So we're recording this right now at the uh, you know it's December 2023. This episode may not air for a while. So what I'll do is um I'll connect with you before the episode before I, oh, yeah. I, I release it and then I can give it like a quick update or maybe you can record like a quick update or something. We'll like tack it on to the end of the episode. And um, yeah, he came back yeah. and he said it was trash oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it got lost in the shuffle because like 300 tracks come out a day. I, guess. Yeah. I don't know, but right on. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the one big project I've got going on. Mm-hmm. That is super, super pimpness. And then one other one, um, I've got, I'm working a lot with three producers. In addition to Jameis, there are three producers that I am working with on the regular that I have some amazing stuff coming down the pipeline in 2024. Um, Stranger Danger, mm. a.k.a. Dominic Flippin, he's uh, he sits in Oakland, California, okay. right on the other side from me. Um, him and I have been doing a lot of music for years now, on a lot of labels, from Delve Deeper to Jump um, mm. to Uniting Souls Music, a um, couple of others too. And so I've got stuff coming out with him. My next one uh, that I'm doing a lot of work with is Jason Merrill from mm. – uh, Label for Eanda out yeah, of Southern California. Yeah. He's in Fresno. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing, dude. This guy knows beats better than anyone I've ever worked with. I don't mm. care who you are. I know that's a tall ass statement, but the guy's a drum corps nut from back in the day. Mm. And I just started working with him about a year and a half ago, and I can't program beats for shit. Mm. He came in and I just I felt so schooled. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. And then the last guy who I have a lot of music coming out with next year, DJ Cole Lawton. Mm. He's like the new Miguel Miggs of the UK, but he's a machine. Yeah, he gets a lot. He has a really high output, yeah. He just puts out stuff and everything he touches is immediately charted and in the top 20. Um, it, it's actually, it, it's annoying. <laughs> I tell him to, like, you suck, dude. Um, so yeah, I'm starting to do a lot more stuff with Cole for that very reason. So yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. So those are my, my three, my three rock stars plus the Jameis project, uh, with mm-hmm. Becca and uh, Marie Borson. 
So yeah, super stoked. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it, and yeah, I'm looking forward to you seeing you play. evolve and get elevated and whatnot. So yeah, that'll be that'll be cool. All right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So this has been a really awesome conversation. Before we wrap up, is there any anything that you want to leave listeners with uh, that I don't know that you that you just want them to know about you or just uh, yeah anything that Absolutely. you want to leave? Yeah. Sure. Um, this may be. I'll save the most controversial statement for my closing statement. Uh, the very last bullet point. Um, you know what? I, I sign this on my emails, right? Every time I do, uh, I send something out. I'm like, and I, I've kind of augmented it from its original, so it's it's more mine. But if you do what you love, and you love what you do, people can tell. Mm. And that's the part that I wanted to add on because it's when I get an opportunity to play and I blow my back out and my neck and my hearing, uh, but I am just tingling from playing and just the vibe. People coming up to me afterwards and saying, I understand what you do now. Mm. That like, that's the goal for me from a live performance from production I want you to feel something and I want to make music that doesn't sound like it's just a bunch of Lego bricks put together in a formula. Mm. Yeah. Not my thing. That works for some people, not for me. Uh, and yeah, and in closing, uh, and in closing, as I said, I'm a Brooklynite, uh, Gen Xer. Um, mm-hmm. I hate Trump. He needs to go to jail. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Okay. There you go. The yeah. Cause I, I, I saw him growing up in the eighties and he was a douchebag then. Mm. So my opinion, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hope you found this entertaining. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. All right. All right. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, the conversation and for sharing some some of your wisdom and your you know your insights and uh, just your history and experience and it's it's all good. Thanks for being on the show and uh, yeah. we'll talk soon. Absolutely, Tony. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was this was righteous, man. Thank you. Hopefully, uh, I kept the conversation somewhat on the rails. So, per question. Sure, I'm sure. I'll, cool. Sure, all the listeners will like it yeah, and they'll get a lot out of it. So good. I hope you've enjoyed this content. I have a free gift for you. If you feel overwhelmed by all of the tasks that we have to complete as artists today, my release roadmap can help. You can download it at tonyfuel.com slash roadmap. It's absolutely free. The tool helps clear up mental energy or creative activities because it gives you one place to manage all of your tasks related to music production, demo submissions, releases, and social media. Gain clarity and make more music today by downloading the the release roadmap at tonyfuel.com slash roadmap.